Well, today is the, uh, the final message in our series, uh, Following Jesus in a Messy World. I had not originally intended uh, for this uh, series to actually be this long when I sat down and first outlined what I was going to do. It was uh, 18 messages, which would have uh, ended in February. Um, God had different plans, uh, got into it, uh, the chapters uh, just had more stuff than I could do in a single week, and uh, I figure that's okay. One of my prayers is always that God would supersede in my sermon plans and preparations and, and to do what He wants when He wants, so uh, we'll, we'll let that go that way. But during the course of this study, uh, over the, the last months that we've had this, I would guess that practically everyone in this room has experienced the truth that we do, in fact, live in a messy world, whether it's been, you know, something dealing with your health, uh, your family, your job, your friends, or you have been negatively impacted and hurt by your own poor choice or sins, or maybe the poor choices and sins of someone else. All of us live with the reality of the repercussions of living in this messy world. And it's been my hope and and my prayer that through this series, you would have not only been challenged, but you would also have been strengthened and equipped for how to handle it, how to deal with the messiness that this life brings. And as we come to the end of this study, the very end of the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul finishes with one final command, uh, a command that seems a little bit strange to us when we first read it, And then just a a quick greeting and and then a a final thought. And so we'll look at those three things. They're at the uh, end of 2 Corinthians chapter 13, the final three verses of uh, the book. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. You can follow along in your own Bibles. As I read out loud, it says this. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Father God, again, we just uh, thank you for your word. We thank you for um, the opportunity we've had to, to love you, to love one another uh, through this service, through the different aspects of this service. But now as we come to your word, we pray that you would um, speak to us, that you would be our teacher today. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, we'll start with that final command in verse 12. Paul just very authoritatively demands and directs believers to greet one another with a holy kiss. Now there's, you know, a number of significant uh, uh, one another commands uh, peppered throughout, especially the New Testament. And I'm sure you're familiar with most uh, of the common ones, you know, love one another, uh, be kind to one another, encourage one another, uh, uh, pray for one another, or, or some that are in the negative, do not judge one another. We've heard and we've, we've seen on these, the list and list uh, goes on and on. And many of you uh, are familiar with all of those, but how many of you, prior to reading this verse this morning, remembered that we are commanded by God, through the Word, to greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, uh, 
before the teenagers start smooching in the front here saying they're just, just obeying the Bible, that's all I'm doing. Uh, perhaps I should uh, uh, give a little bit of an explanation. So a, a kiss. A kiss was the normal, common means of greeting one another in that culture. You would, I was going to bring somebody up here for a demonstration, but decided against it. You would uh, walk up uh, to someone, put your hands on their shoulders or, or their arms, pull them into an embrace, and then kiss either both sides of their face. Uh, kind of a cheek-to-cheek uh, move that you would use there. And, and in terms of what it symbolized and, and uh, what it means, it would be similar to the idea of a handshake in, in our culture. Uh, the big difference, of course, being that back then in that culture, it was the men who greeted men and women greeting women. Uh, in our culture, a handshake, you know, it's perfectly acceptable uh, to go across sexes. But back then, that would have not been done. You would not have crossed that line, except for in the case of uh, private, intimate family situations. Uh, but other than that, uh, it, it stayed that way. And so here's the command that we have. This statement, it's written in the imperative. So is God, is the Apostle Paul saying here that we have to stop shaking hands and reintroduce the kiss as a traditional greeting? I, I'm hoping not, uh, because I can see a lot of guys getting slugged uh, if they go up and try and kiss another guy, uh, you know, a holy kiss or whatever. Either way, it's not going to work. Luckily, that's not the case. Uh, that's not what God's uh, looking for. It's the function, not the form, that he's interested. The form may have been a kiss back then, a handshake uh, today, but it's the function that's important to him. And now maybe you're wondering, well, what's so important about greeting one another that God feels like he has to put a command in Scripture for us to do it? I mean, does he just want us to be polite to one another? I mean, you know, being polite is good, right? It's, it's a lot better than the alternative. But I think it has a lot more than just politeness uh, to it, which is why he adds that specific descriptive word to it, right? A holy kiss. If he just wanted us to greet each other, just wanted us to be polite, he'd just, just say, do the greeting. But he doesn't want that. He wants... A holy shake, handshake, you know, kiss, whatever, we go that way. So what makes it holy? And what did Paul intend by commanding us to do this? And why is it so important that we do it? I mean, all these other one another commands, right? We can see the benefit in them from the command itself. Love one another, build one another up, encourage one another. We get those, right? They, they seem obvious why we would want to do that for each other. What's the big deal about greeting one another? And again, obviously, I, I, it means far more than God simply wanting us to be polite to one another. But it doesn't mean anything less than that, right? It, it, it does mean at, at least that much, too. God makes it clear that being polite is actually a, a form of or a part of loving one another. You all remember 1 Corinthians chapter 3, known as the love chapter, right? This is the verses that are frequently read at people's weddings and this type of thing. And part of that chapter says this, love is not rude. 
does not act unbecomingly. If you were to put that in a positive statement, the opposite of rude is polite. Love, love is polite. And, and since we're called to love our brothers and sisters in Christ and, and to love those who are still without Christ in this world and even to love our enemies, well, then it becomes apparent very quickly that as Christians, we ought to be the most polite people in the world. Right? I mean, it, it ought to be a part of who we are. I know uh, sometimes in my own uh, frustrations or impatience or irritations, I've, I've fallen short in this area. But it's something that I, I try to keep in mind. It's something that I specifically want to work on to be polite. Think of that. The next time the waitress messes up your order or someone causes you some other irritation. If we're going to love, God's called us to be polite. But as we said now, this, this idea of the holy kiss goes beyond mere politeness. Because the truth is, you can be polite to people you don't even like. Uh, but the word holy qualifies what we're doing here. And holy means that it can't be fake. Maybe you've seen these greetings on, on TV, a, a movie or something like this. Usually it's between women, right? And they walk up and they give themselves that cheek-to-cheek kiss greeting. But you know that they hate each other, right? Uh, the, the characters are rivals and, and they're, it's all fake and bogus that they're doing it. This can't be that way. Uh, there must be... Uh, a genuineness to it. A, a holy kiss has to be real. See, holy means that you're greeting one another in the Lord based on your mutual relationship with Jesus Christ. Therefore, you can't harbor animosity in your heart. You cannot hold on to feelings of ill will. You, you cannot choose to be unforgiving towards someone and still greet them with a holy kiss. It doesn't work that way. You could greet them with a phony kiss, right? You could give them the bogus type of greeting, but not a holy one. And therein lies the impact for us when we think about this command. In order for us to be able to greet one another, with a holy kiss, that means we have to deal with any and all of the relational messiness that can happen even between brothers and sisters in Christ. It's going to happen, actually, because we live in a broken world. That, that, that one another in this command, that means it's specifically talking about your fellow believers, your, your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're talking other children of God just as you are a child of God. And if we want to obey this command, and, and more importantly, if we want to honor God through it, then that means we need to choose to keep short accounts in our relationships with one another so that we truly can greet each other with a holy kiss. I mean, the truth is that just because you're a Christian, it doesn't mean that messiness won't happen. It, it will we all, we all get tired and grumpy at times. 
We all experience frustration and irritations, and sometimes in that position, it can cause us to say something uh, or, or uh, in a less than kind way or do something that's not uh, particularly uh, winsome or kind. Beyond that, we all still struggle with sin. And that means that there's sometimes when on purpose we say something or do something that is harsh, unloving, biting towards another person. James, the the half-brother of Jesus, he put it this way, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body as well. I mean, that's a very diplomatic way of saying, you all blow it with what you say. I mean, that, that's what he's saying, right? Because we know there is nobody perfect. If, if, and the tongue is the hardest thing to control. And, and if you could always be perfect in what you say, if you could always be kind and loving and giving in, in your words, well, then that's the hard part. Everything else would be easy. You'd be perfect. That's what he says here. And none of us make it that way. Commanding a holy kiss is God's way of saying, hey, I, I know things happen. I want you to take care of those things. And, and you know what? Since we get together regularly, frequently, that means we need to actually keep very short accounts. Because if something happens, you need to get that taken care of before the next week when we get together again. He doesn't want those things to fester, to grow into worse problems. So a powerful question for each of us to ask. Is there anybody in this fellowship, my brothers or sisters in Christ, that I would have a hard time giving up? giving a holy kiss. And if so, what do I need to do to change that? That's why it's a hard question. Easy question would be, what do they need to do? You know, if they would do something, that would make this a lot better. Hard question is, what do I need to do to change this? And then here's, here's the real kicker, the hard, hardest part of the question. When? Am I going to do that? You know, when we get hurt, it's very natural to feel anger. Uh, and God understands that, right? God, God knows that. He, he designed our emotions and the way things work. That's why God said in Ephesians, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. So in other words, he's saying, yeah, you're going to feel anger when you've been hurt, when you've been mistreated, when, when you've been done wrong. But don't let that hurt cause you to respond sinfully in that situation. Don't, don't let the devil get a toehold because he'll get a toehold through those things. Don't give him 
an opportunity to mess with your life because that's where the problems are going to come if you harbor that or hold on to that or into the unity, the fellowship that we have as a church. So after giving this command, he, he wants us to understand it's something that needs to be done. There's a reason why he told us to greet one another with a holy, a, a real, a genuine kiss. It requires you to keep that relational uh, commitment together with one another. And after dealing with that, that final command, he himself gives a quick greeting, but there's a purpose behind it. He, he says it very quickly, all the saints greet you. Seems very benign, but in terms of application for us and meaning, it, it is a quick, simple point. But, but Paul is saying here that even though he wasn't there to, uh, in person, give each person a, a holy kiss, he, he is, he's, getting, he's greeting them. He's passing that on. After all the, the ugliness that has gone on between them, the accusations they made against him, the hurtful things they said about him, having uh, to do those things, he is saying, I'm not holding it against you. I'm greeting you. I'm, I'm giving you this holy kiss, even though it was from a distance. He was not harboring any bad feelings towards them. And nor were any of his traveling companions. He was, he was grouping it together with all of them. And, and since he includes all the saints, he was letting them know very clearly, hey, this isn't just you. I'm not just picking on you guys because I think you got a problem here. I'm saying this to all believers because this is what all of us need to do. This is the way we all need to be. And I think it's great that, that it was done over a distance like that because it reminds us too that it's not just if someone's in the room with you that 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 we can fulfill these one another commands, uh, even in this greeting, over uh, a lengthy distance. True story here. This week, as I was working on the sermon, right as I was typing that sentence uh, about long distance, I, I was like halfway through the sentence, and my phone rings. And on the other end was Maurice. Many of you remember Maurice from Trinidad that was here. He was up at the VA and was here with us for a while while I was there. And, and he called and said, hey, I just wanted to tell you and, and call you to say thank you and tell you what a positive impact your church had on me and in my life. And, and I, it just meant so much to me, and I just want to pass that on to you. He, he was fulfilling these one another commands, even though it was long distance, wasn't it? And, and that's a great thing. Paul was doing that same thing. Greet one another with a, a holy kiss, and I'm greeting you. I'm not, there's nothing left between us. We're, we're dealt with and things are taken care of. And he, then he moves from that to, that to that last verse, the final point. Uh, final point, not only for this message, but for this entire series of following Jesus in a messy world. Verse 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It's a benediction, but it's more than just a, a pat ending, more than just a, a formulaic standard farewell, because this never shows up in any of his other letters in this form. Notice that there were three things. This is a prayer. Three things that Paul was asking, that he was praying for these people to experience. Grace, love, and fellowship. You know, every church, as well as 
Every individual person has a story. There is a story to your life. And your story, like everybody else's story, has ups and downs, has twists and turns, perhaps has hit you with some sudden, unexpected plot change. And your story, although it may have some general similarity to other stories, is unique because it's your own personal story. And oftentimes, most of the things we like to share about our story with other people uh, sounds pretty good. And, And there are elements to all of our stories that we rightly can be proud of, right? Maybe you've attained some um, hard-fought-for goal or achievement in your life, or, or maybe you've overcome some extremely difficult hurdles, or, or you've survived some incredibly tough challenges recently, and those are highlights. Those are the things we like to be able to share uh, with other people about our story. You've, you've experienced, you've been given some, some blessings from God, and, and uh, those are wonderful things that you can talk about. But if we're honest, we would also admit that our stories are not all good. Because I would be fairly safe in saying in here that we've all made decisions and choices that we're not proud of. Ones that we hope nobody else really would ever know about. There's been lapses in judgment, mistakes made along the way. Chances are, if you're human, and I'm assuming that's most everybody in here, if you're human, you've made an emotional decision that after things calmed down later on, you really regretted. You've given in to selfish or sinful desires. There's been times where you feel like you've let God down, let yourself down, Or let others down? Maybe your story includes a decision that took you way farther down a path than you ever intended to go. It seems so small and benign at first, but it ended up negatively impacting your life in a powerful way. Maybe you found yourself somewhere you never really wanted to be. You did things that cost you more than you ever knew they would cost. You might have compromised your values, broken some promises, or ended up hurting people along the way. So there's parts of our story that we would rather skip over. And that was certainly true for many of those people in the church there at Corinth, right? I mean, they had made some big mistakes. They had made a royal mess out of things. I mean, if you, if you look at if you were to read both 1st and 2nd Corinthians, uh, there are all kinds of sinful actions, all kinds of dark chapters in the stories of those people's lives, just as there's probably dark chapters in your own. So here's the good news. Your story is not over. The, the final word of your story has not yet been written. After all these sinful things that Paul had to confront after these emotionally draining clashes with the church, after having to challenge them on many of these points and, and redirect them in these things, he shows them that the end of their story can 
be different. Here's what it can look like. Grace, love, and fellowship. The, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient to overcome the dumbest mistake you've ever made, the worst lapse in judgment, the darkest sin. His grace is, is greater and deeper and wider than your most shameful failure. His grace changes your story. And the love of God, which Scripture promises will never be able to be separated from you, and which God has poured out into your heart, that love of God is capable of overwhelming and neutralizing all of the emotional hurts that we suffer in this world. Whether that would be from neglect or abuse or ignorance, whether that pain comes from uh, self-inflicted wounds or wounds from someone else. The love of God gives us the power to forgive, the capacity to heal, and the energy to press on to the higher calling of God. And that grace and that love lead us into the fellowship of the Spirit. This is the fellowship of, of doing life together, of not being on your own, of not being by yourself. This is being there for one another, of having brothers and sisters that you can count on. And knowing that counting on them doesn't mean they're going to be perfect, just like you're not perfect. But it means that we allow the grace and the love of Jesus Christ to overrule those imperfections and those mistakes. So this becomes a, a fellowship of authenticity between one another where people know you and your weaknesses and your failings. But instead of being shocked by that or kicking you while you're down, they're actually there to support you, to lift you up, to help you get walking again. They're there to encourage you, stimulate you to love and good deeds. And by ending this way, the, the Apostle Paul is letting us know that no matter what their story is, no matter what our story is, no matter what you've experienced, no matter what's going on up to this point, or where you may be right now, the last word hasn't been given yet. The last word is of life-changing grace, of transforming love, of affirming fellowship. And I'm not sure. I don't know everybody's story in here. I don't know where you're at, what, what you might be facing right now. But I do know. I can guarantee you the last word has not yet been spoken. Now, I, I can guarantee that because you're all still alive. You're all still breathing. Some of you look a little comatose, but... but, but <laughs> But I can tell you're still alive. If we have breath, the last word has not yet come. 
And the last word is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And when you apply those things to your life, your story will go in a new and positive direction beyond what you could ever envision or dream. That's the benefit of following Jesus in a messy world. Would you pray with me? Father God, again, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for what it teaches us. We thank you for your presence with us and for the promises that you give. And God, we pray, I pray right now for each person here that they would receive and experience the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name.